thanks again for being at Grace on this 4th of July weekend. It's our fourth service, one in Paulding, third here, and we're glad that you're with us. And as you caught from Zach earlier, we got big news in the Pinkerton family, and I'm now a grandpa. And, and uh, Pam, my wife, is a grandmother now. And, uh, and let me, basically I have a picture for you, and I will be having pictures every Sunday from now on. But this is Toby Keith Pinkerton, uh, named Zachary Kevin Pinkerton is his dad, and uh, we're just so excited about him, and we are pumped up. I, I have been visiting him during the week, obviously, since he was born, and uh, Pam and I were just over there the other day, and Caitlin told us that he had gained an ounce. And so as a proud grandfather, I started kind of doing the math. I was actually driving into work, and I was thinking, okay, over an ounce in a day, so then that's like... Uh, Okay, a pound in about a half of a month, so two pounds a month, so that's, uh, well, wait, that's 24 pounds a year. So basically, when he's 10, he's going to be 240 pounds, and when he's 13, as I was counting, he's going to be over 300 pounds, so don't mess with Kevin, because I have a 300-pound 13-year-old on the way. So we are really pumped about that, just exciting stuff in our family, of course, uh, Bree and Jake are also getting ready for their child next month. Just an exciting time. Uh, it's kind of interesting to, to watch babies. They have the appetite going. You see that coming stronger and stronger. They start growing like crazy. And then uh, we become adults. And our appetites for food doesn't really change that much, but we get additional appetites. And they're a little, uh, little dicier. Appetites for our sexuality and our emotions. And, uh, and a lot of times we try to feed those appetites in the wrong way. And actually that's what our story is about today. We're in the book of Judges and we're going through. And even though we're not to the end of the book, we're going to try to cover four chapters today. We're talking about though the last judge in the book of Judges. And he's one of the more famous ones. I mean there's... Gideon's pretty famous, but maybe this judge is the most famous of them all. What's his name? Some of you have been reading ahead. Yeah, Samson. Samson is an amazing guy that God had given amazing gifts to. And we'll kind of look at his story. But I want to remind you of the context before we get there. Uh, remember now, there's just been this cycle of Israel. They've conquered the land. They've gone there. They don't have a king. And then they're constantly getting trapped up in, in pagan culture around them. And then that'll be an influence and they'll, God will allow them to conquer Israel and then they'll cry out. So it's always disobedience. And then there's disaster. And then they cry out to God in repentance and then he delivers them. What's different about the story of Samson is that they don't cry out. It's like the Philistines now have, have been kind of running things and there's just a different start to the story. We see that in Judges 13, verse 1, where it says, Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the same. So that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. The difference is that this takeover seems so complete that their culture is so integrated with the Philistines, they're, they're not crying out to God. But God shows up anyway, and today I want to focus on Samson because that's how God shows up 
And basically his story, I want to kind of get to his personal story a little bit more rather than what's happening in the country. And his story starts like a lot of other, a few other stories in the Bible. It starts with a couple who could not have children. And an angel of the Lord comes and announces to the the lady and the couple says, hey, you're going to conceive and you're going to give birth and it's going to be a boy. It's always a boy, it seems like. It's going to be a boy and he is going to be a Nazarite from birth. Now, a Nazarite vow, which is kind of key to this story, is where somebody uh, would voluntarily kind of commit three things to God. A Nazarite vow consisted of, number one, that you didn't eat or drink anything from the vine. So no grapes, no raisins, no wine, nothing like that, or grape juice, nothing. And you wouldn't take anything fermented. So no fruit of the vine, nothing even from the vine, and no fermented drink, number one. Number two uh, for the Nazarite vow is that you wouldn't touch a dead carcass, a dead body. That was part of your commitment. And then number three, while you're in this vow, while you're vowing this to God, you wouldn't cut your hair. And and then people could kind of tell that you must be having this vow. And what would happen is typically these vows were always voluntary, except for this once. And they would last usually from about 30 days to about a year would be typical. And it was a time where somebody was kind of saying to God, God, you've got my attention. I want your attention. And I'm really trying to figure out this certain thing in my life. But what's different about Samson is he, it's not voluntary. He, the angel tells the parents he's going to be a Nazarite beginning with this conception. And so you need to watch what you eat and drink and Tells that to the mom, and and so he just grows up in the Nazarite vow, and he may not even know about it until the kids start making fun of him at school that he hasn't cut his hair, and then maybe the parents tell him then, well, actually, you know, you're you're a Nazarite, and this is the way it is, and here are the rules. Unfortunately, what we see in Samson's life is he, he doesn't keep those rules, and as a matter of fact, his entire life is characterized by feeding his appetites in the wrong way as, as he becomes an adult. So let's pick it up in, in Judges chapter 14, and we'll hear a little more of a story. Then Samson, he's an adult now, he went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. And so he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me, as a wife. And then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives, meaning the Danites, or among all our people, meaning the Israelites, that you, that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Now what's going on here is they're not having a problem with interracial marriage. That's okay. They're having a problem with interfaith marriage. And it's the same thing that we're told in the New Testament that a believer, a follower of God, shouldn't be married to a non-believer. And we see Israel having problems with this. Samson having problems with this. We have the same thing in the New Testament where it says, be, do not be unequally yoked with a non-believer in uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14. But anyway, um, so, but he doesn't obey his parents. And he says, but Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she looks good to me, And we see this issue, and what we're going to find out about the entire life of Samson 
is he has a weakness, he has a problem, he has an appetite for pagan women. And uh, that kind of plagues him throughout his life. So he sees a woman, uh, his, his parents are interacting, but then it's time to kind of get ready for this marriage. And he's traveling back and forth between his city and this Philistine city named Timnah. And uh, one of the times he does that, uh, he runs into a lion, a young lion, and God supernaturally, God gives him the strength to kill this lion with his bare hands. And there's a reason that that's interjected in a story because it kind of comes up later. But as they go on, he's wanting this wedding to be set up. And, uh, and we see it continue in verse 7 of 14. And so he went down and he talked to the woman. And again, she looked good to Samson. And when he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion. And behold, this is a dead lion. He's traveling back and forth again, the one he killed. And a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. And again, this, so now he's killed a lion. He's coming back traveling. Now he sees the dead carcass and there's bees and honey in it. And again, that's, that's going to play a, a certain part. So it's wedding time. And now Samson and his father, they go to this Philistine town, Temnah. And basically the culture of the day is you put on, Samson puts on a seven-day feast. Feast in the Hebrew drinking party. I mean, it's just a big party, seven days. And there's 30 Philistine men from Timnah that are sort of his attendants. And, and it's just a seven-day long party. Samson decides that he's going to take advantage of these Philistine men who are really kind of functioning as his groomsmen, 30 of them, by making a bet with them. And he thinks he's got a sure bet. There's never a sure bet. But he thinks he's got a way really to con them out of some cash. What the stakes of the bet are actually sets of clothing. And we learn from the Old Testament that clothing was just like silver, gold clothing. It was tribute you gave to kings. People didn't have that many clothes, so a set of clothes was expensive. And so that was just something they used in commerce. And so he bets them 30 sets of clothes, one for each of them. He'll give them if he loses, or each one of them gives to him if he wins, that they can't solve this riddle. And then he puts the riddle in kind of a unique way and it has everything to do with that, that lion. Here's what he says in verse 14. So he said to them, out of the eater came something sweet. I'm sorry. Out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. So here's the riddle they have to solve, but they could not tell the riddle in three days. So they have seven days. Three days in, they haven't figured it out, and these guys are getting upset. There's 30 of them. He's embarrassing the whole town. I mean, the Philistines own Israel, but here this one Israeli guy is sort of embarrassing everybody. So then they start putting pressure on Samson's new bride to get the answer and give it to him, and they threaten her. They say, we're going to kill you and your dad if you don't give us this answer. We find out later, this is not an idle threat. And so she starts trying to get the answer from Samson. And Samson doesn't give it to her at first. He says, I haven't even told my parents. Why should I tell you? They may not know each other all that well, you know, but she looked good to him. But anyway, so they're having this interaction. And then finally, on the seventh day, you know, she's doing the old, how can you love me? How can you say you love me and not tell me this information? Well, he finally gives in. He tells her, and then she tells these 30 guys. He doesn't know why she's asking. 
And then on the seventh day, just before sundown, that's when the day ends for these Jewish people, for Samson. On the seventh day, right before the sun goes down, the 30 guys come to Samson and they solve the riddle. And he knows she told and he's ticked. He actually says something right then. He says, if you hadn't, of, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. And just for you young guys, referring to your wife as a heifer, probably not the way you want to go, but that's what, you know, again, that's what Samson did there. And basically it's kind of a, he's slamming everybody and he gets really angry. And what he does now, he owes 30 sets of clothing. That's a lot of money. So he goes to a nearby Philistine town and he basically ambushes and slaughters 30 well-dressed Philistines. He strips them, takes their clothing, brings it back to Timnah and pays off his debt to these 30 guys. And he's still mad. And he's so mad he leaves and he doesn't go by back to the father's house. He doesn't go see his new bride again. He just bails after that. And he is just steaming mad. And, uh, and then what happens is later... He kind of cools down and he decides that he's going to go to Timnah and see his wife. What Samson doesn't know, because Samson didn't come back after he paid that debt, the dad didn't know maybe, and there's some debate among scholars on whether that was, that it could have been arranged that even after the wedding she would live at home because she's a Philistine and all that. So we don't know exactly what's going on there except to say if the father knew or not. But the father, after... Samson doesn't come back. He gives his daughter, this bride, away to one of those 30 men, kind of like to the best man. Samson doesn't know that. Samson, after he cools off, he comes to visit his wife and and to engage in marital contact. And so he shows up. He brings a young goat as a gift, which is 3,000 years ago, the same as a, a bouquet of flowers. And he shows up at the house and he presents the young goat and says, I want to go in to my wife's room. I want to go in to her. And the dad says, oh, well, you can't. I've given her away to somebody else. And so the dad's now really in a jam. Samson's not a guy you want to mess with. So then he says, how about if, if you get married to her younger daughter, who's even prettier than she is? And now Samson It's kind of in a rage, and it starts like a blood feud between these people. Uh, Samson, you need to read the story, but it's fascinating. Samson Samson gets a bunch of foxes or or maybe jackals. He rounds them up. He uses them to bring economic chaos. Basically, he ties torches to their tails. It's harvest time. He sets them loose. Even the people guarding the fields can't stop this. And and he burns down all their... uh, the field's ready for harvest and even some of the stuff that's already been harvested and even their grapevines, their vineyards, and some of their orchards uh, for olive trees. I mean, a bunch of it just goes up in smoke because Samson's getting revenge. And so they all come looking for Samson. They, they want to know what, what's going on because this affects now the whole region, the whole area. And so they want to know why. They hear the story about Samson's feud you know, and what happened with the parents? He wasn't really feuding with the dad. He didn't really complain about him. But these, the Philistines come in and they kill the dad and the daughter, who are also Philistines. They burn them to death. So we were saying that threat wasn't so idle. 
And then it's, it's showtime. They end up getting in a fight with Samson. And Samson kills a bunch of them. Doesn't say how many. And then Samson does this. He says, okay, I've burned all your fields. And now I've killed a bunch of you. And he says, now we're even. That ever worked for you when you're fighting with your brother? You know, and maybe he hit you and you hit back and then you gave him two and said, now we're even, but he doesn't think they're even. Well, that's what happened. The Philistines didn't think they're even. And so they keep looking for Samson. Samson, in the meantime, leaves that area. He goes into the area that the tribe of Judah controlled and he kind of lays low in kind of a rocky area, not easily found. But the Philistines, they're hopping mad. And now it's a bigger and bigger region that Samson's fighting with because he's impacting more people. Two cities, he killed those 30 guys from another city, the crops, everything. So now they come into Judah and invade. They kind of already control Judah, but they're looking for Samson. This alarms the people of Judah. And they, find, and they ask, what's going on? You guys already control us? Why the army? And they say, we're looking for Samson. They tell them the story. Well, 3,000 men of Judah, they start searching for Samson and they know where he's at. They, he's in these rocks. And they go to Samson and they say, look, don't you know these people rule over us? Now, you'd think they would say, hey, we got 3,000. You're Samson. We can go wipe these guys out. But they weren't thinking that way. They weren't even looking for deliverance. They're just saying, you got us in a jam here. These people own us. You're going to get us all killed. He says, we got to turn you in. And Samson says, okay, I'll let you. If you're not going to do anything to me, I'll let you bind me and turn me in. And so that's what they do. They bind him, and then they bring him to the Philistine camp in Judah. And, and then the men of Judah, they get out of there. Because there's nothing good going to happen as far as they're concerned, whether they slaughter Samson or he does something. They just disappear. They don't want any part of this. And then the Philistines are rejoicing. But then God comes upon Samson and gives him incredible strength. He's able to break his bonds. And then he grabs a jawbone, a fresh jawbone of a donkey, like this. You know, I'd prefer like an automatic weapon, you know, or something like that, or, you know, something, but uh, with a little more firepower. But he, he grabs what's nearby, a, a carcass of a donkey, rips out the jawbone, and he goes to town, and it's on. And when the dust settles... He's killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. We don't know how this played out, whether maybe he was in an area like a, a rocky area where he had been hiding, where only so many guys could get to him at a time, but he kills a thousand of them. And uh, it's, it's just, it turns in to a slaughter. And he is ticked. After that, you know, something happens where he cries out to God because he, he thinks he's, gonna, he's in this arid region, he's thirsty. It's kind of interesting because he's not really used to crying out to God. And, uh, and his life continues, but he's still really a slave to his passions. He's a, he's a slave to feeding his appetite the wrong way. Next thing you know, he goes to the city of Gaza. You ever hear of the city, you know, the Gaza Strip? Same place in Israel. It's controlled by the Philistines. He's just walking around town. He's their enemy, but he's kind of a guy they've learned not to mess with. So it's just, but they own Israel, but then what are you going to do with Samson? Kind of a weird deal. And he goes to Gaza to visit a prostitute. So while he's with her at night, the men of the city, because it's a walled city, it's a strong city. Strong cities had walls and gates. 
And they decide, we've got him locked in. We've got him barricaded. They shut the gates, and they realize in the morning, we're going to ambush this guy, and we're not going to let him out of the city until we kill him. He wakes up in the middle of the night and embarrasses the whole city by basically busting out and lifting the gates off their hinges with God-given strength and carrying them off. He kind of leaves the city embarrassed and defenseless. And then, the most famous story. He's got a real problem with pagan women. And the next story we hear about is Samson and Delilah. He meets this woman. Now, I got to tell you, before we even read the story, because you don't even have to be a Bible reader to kind of know how this goes. And it's not gone well so far with Samson and women. It's just brought disaster. And, And I think a lot of times we have to stop and just ask this question. Is it possible that a man could be so captivated by a woman that he would make one stupid decision after another? And just the men will answer this. And the answer to that is yes. I don't know if that's a personal story you have, uh, but no, no, just kidding. No, Ed's answering for all of us. Yes, stupid decisions because women are very possible for men to make. Yeah, Ed's not just helping me out here. He knows. We all know. That's the way it is. So here's how that plays out. Um, in, ver- in Judges 16, verse 5, it says this. After this, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, Entice him. Use your womanly wiles. Entice him and see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. I mean, they're just laying it out for her. We're going to get this guy. We need you to figure out how we can subdue him. Then we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. That does the trick. Delilah is not faithful to Samson. You know, she's on. And so Delilah said to Samson, now, Here's the part of the story that it gets a little weird because it's kind of like, okay, so her job is kind of like a spy to somehow subtly figure out or subtly extract the information without Samson knowing what the secret to his strength is. And so you'd think this would be real subtle, kind of under the table stuff. No. So she goes to Samson and says, please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. So not real subtle there. You'd think Samson might have a clue as to what's going on here, but not exactly. So it continues, verse 7. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh cords, he lies, that have not been dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. And then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. And, then, and now she had men lying in wait in an inner room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords of a string of, like a string of toe snaps when it touches fire, so his strength was not discovered. So basically, he lies to her, but he sees that she's trying to ambush him. And so she does this, to him three times, and three times Samson tells some different lie about, this, about the strength that he has, 
And now, after the third time, she's desperate. In the meantime, the lords of the Philistines, we think there's five of them, and their money, they're gone. They don't have time for this. This ain't working. They're out of there. But she's desperate, so she really turns up the heat to get to extract this information from Samson. Verse 15, continuing there, she said to him, How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. And now we're reading this story, right? And we're thinking, how can a man be so stupid that he's going to tell her this information? He knows she's going to use it. You know, I, how can that possibly be that a man is going to give in to this woman to his own destruction? Of course, I'm looking out and there's a few guys going, well, well, yeah, I can see. I can see how that, that can happen. Yeah, that's the problem. And, and so that's kind of how this goes. So as we continue, verse 21, it came about that when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. We know what we're talking about here. I don't want to say the word nagging. But, you know, that's so he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, a razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I'm shaved, then my strength will leave me and I'll become weak and be like any other man. And when then Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he's told me all that's in his heart. And then the lords of the Philistines came up to her, and they brought the money in their hands. So it's one more night of drunken stupor and adult stuff. And she made him sleep on her knees and called for a man that had him shave off the seven locks of his hair, meaning all his hair. And she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I'll go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. And so we see how this is going. And, and, and the Spirit of God has left him. Verse 21 says, And then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. And they brought him down to Gaza, the city he embarrassed, and bound him with bronze chains. And he was a grinder in the mill in the prison. And so that's kind of what happens. You see, Samson had so much potential. God had given him these feats of incredible strength. But he kept feeding his appetites the wrong way. And so his life, even though he did some things, it was a major disappointment. They never were delivered from the Philistines. Basically, everything Samson did was always in vengeance of Samson. Never for the good of others, just for himself constantly feeding his own passions, lust, revenge. That's just the way he lived. 
And that's the way some of us live. Rather than feed our appetites the way God's told us to, we feed our appetites the wrong way. If you only knew how much more you could be used by God if you would just submit to him every area of your life. And specifically what I'm talking about is this question. Have you submitted to God your sexuality? Have you done that? You see, we all know we should do that, but we start thinking that we have a better way, we have a better plan for us. We know, yeah, people should follow God, but in this one area of my life, I, we think this way, if we're struggling with this, I have a better way. And in that case, we really don't trust that God wants what's best for us. If you're not submitting this area of life, you're not trusting God that, that God wants what's best for you and he's telling you what's best for you. You think, no, this other way is better. And as you do that, you will bring disaster and messiness into your life. Have you submitted your sexuality to God? Some of you are here thinking, no, and let's wrap this sermon up. That's the question. And I know some of you are thinking, well, Kevin, you don't know me. You don't know my situation. You don't know anything about my sexuality. And so how can you tell me something? Well, I may not know anything about you and your sexuality, but I know the harm that feeding desires our own way brings. If you had talked to as many people as I've talked to over 25 years of counseling about this topic, if you had read some of the correspondence emails that I've had with people about this topic, you wouldn't be scared to submit your sexuality to God. You would be scared not to submit your sexuality to God. Does that make sense? It's interesting because a thousand years later, there's another Jewish man that shows up on the scene. He also has the Spirit of God and he tells us, he, he was the same guy that told us about don't be unequally yoked. And actually in 1 Corinthians, he tells us something else in 6.19. He says, here's what he's writing this church in a pagan culture. He says, or do you not know? And he says that, do you not know? Because they don't know, you know. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. He's saying, don't you know God loves you? 
God has provided for you. God has made a way. God has sacrificed for you. God wants what's best for you. God is present in you. And if you know that, number two, know that, number one. And number two, glorify God, meaning honor God with your body, with your sexuality. That's what he's calling us to do. Ladies, and I know there's a lot of pressure in our day, people before they're married and, you know, it's the norm now to live together and all these things. Ladies, your body was designed by God not to be the appetizer, but to be the dessert. That's the last thing that happens in a relationship, not the first thing. Your body's the dessert, not the appetizer. Now, it's kind of hard to remember. Maybe another way to say it is, ladies, tell your man to ring it before you bring it. I mean, maybe, maybe that'll click a little bit more. I don't know. But the point is, it's marriage first, then the other. Don't sell yourself short. Men. Do not let your appetites blind you to God's best in your life. Submit yourselves to God in every area. That's what he wants from us. It's amazing because Samson had so much potential. And God had given him his presence. I mean, he would come upon Samson, and Samson would do these incredible feats of strength. God came upon him and gave him strength. I mean, he, he was a miracle baby. He had godly parents. He, he had God coming upon him and with incredible strength. And in the end, he actually, the end of the story is, as he's bound, he's a prisoner in Gaza, they're, they're having a huge celebration, worshiping a false god in a temple. And they call for Samson to be brought in for sport and amusement. He's blind. They bring him in. If you know the story, he, he gets a hold of the two central pillars in the building. And he cries out to God for only the second time in his life. And God gives him the strength to push those pillars apart. That causes a chain reaction in the pillars, and there's thousands of Philistines seated in the temple. There's 3,000 Philistines on the roof of the temple all looking down, and it all comes crashing down, killing Samson and thousands and thousands of Philistines. He killed more in his death than his life, but it didn't change anything for Israel. The Philistines still dominated his life, even though God used him in a miraculous way. His life was still a waste. It didn't really accomplish what it could have accomplished. He had every advantage. And you know what? We have even more advantages. If you're sitting here and you're a Christian today, God's given you his spirit from day one. And he will never leave you. So you have his presence more than Samson did. And God gave Samson physical strength. God gives us, through his spirit, the strength to do what's impossible for us to do. I'm not just talking about physical strength, not, just, not that. I'm talking about 
to throw off whatever is enslaving you in your life that you can't be. God will give you the strength to throw it off. If you'll just refocus on him and submit that area of your life to him and ask his spirit to strengthen you in that area. That's what he calls us to do. And if we don't do that, God still may somehow be able to use you in certain ways. But if you will do that, he will use you in ways that you never dreamed. He will. Don't be blinded by appetites and fill them the wrong way. Follow God. Turn to him. Do it his way. And even if you have already feel like you've messed this up, and I know there's a lot of people wishing that they could turn back the clock. Doesn't matter where you're at. Refocus. Return to God. Ask him for the strength. Get this area of your life right now, and he will help you. And he will be able to use you more than you've ever been used before. Let's pray together. Father, God, we thank you, Lord, that, that you've not just created us, but you love us. We don't deserve to be loved by you because we've rebelled against you, but you love us anyway. And for those of us who are believers, you, you've somehow helped us to come to a place where we see who you are and what you've done for us and you've allowed us to respond to you. God, thank you. Thank you for invading our lives and showing us what's best, not just for you, for us too. And showing us that we can trust you with every area. And Lord, help us to recommit to follow you totally, to not hold back any section of our life, but submit totally to you. And you will do things through us that would be impossible for us to ever accomplish ourselves. God, thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here at Grace. Hope you have a wonderful 4th of July weekend. You're dismissed.